Hey everybody, welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I have Janice Berliner on the show today, and we actually talked for just a little bit over an hour, so um, I really apologize for that. I try to keep the um, spots up to about an hour um, per episode, um, but today we she just happened to be in the middle of a sentence uh, when the timer went off. So we uh, did extend it for just a little bit. And towards the end of the episode, you will get to hear about my little newest member of the Picky family. His name is Simon, and he is a tiny little black kitten, uh, long hair, super playful. Um, he just... he. <laughs> He's actually sitting here batting at something on my bed right now. So he is super fun and you'll get to, uh, he makes a surprise appearance towards the end of the show. So um, be sure to listen for that. And otherwise, uh, Janice and I had a great time talking about her book and her job as a genetic counselor and um, just all sorts of things. So grab a cup of tea, grab a glass of wine, whatever is your jam. Keep listening. I promise you won't be disappointed. Thanks, guys. This episode is sponsored by Caroline Fleur. She wrote the book Destiny and Other Dilemmas. You can find it on Amazon in Kindle format and paperback format. Here is the blurb. Brooke Stern seemed to have the perfect life until she didn't. After an unexpected turn of events that shook her marriage of 15 years, she must navigate her new normal as a single independent woman. Juggling her son's food allergies, her demanding career, and growing interest in a mysterious man, she's determined to restart her life and find a clear path ahead. When she finally reclaims her courage, she is confronted with the harsh consequences of her choices. Any step forward is a potential risk as she tries to make the best decisions for herself and the future of her family. That is, if destiny doesn't step in and decide for her. Based on that... I think I need to own that book as well. Um, I will include a link to the Amazon as, so that you can purchase this book and support the author just as the author has chosen to support this podcast. Thank you, Caroline. And thank you, Chris. Uh, you can find her book in the show notes as well. Thank you both for supporting the Picky Bookworm. Hey everybody, welcome to the Picky Bookworm podcast. I am here with Janice Berliner. I think I pronounced that right. She's nodding, so I pronounced that right. Yay. Okay, and we are going to get started on our chat for today. Um, I don't know much about her, um, so I will be learning just right along with you guys. We're going to get into it. So grab a cup of tea, grab a glass of wine, whatever's your jam, and we're going to get to it. Thanks, guys. Hi, Janice. Hi. Thank okay. you for having me today. Oh, you are so welcome. Um, yeah, I actually, I've had several people that have forgotten that I had them on the schedule because um, I, I made the mistake of scheduling out my entire year in like January. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time July rolls around, it's like, wait, I'm on your podcast this weekend? Yeah. So, so I've, had a, I've had a lot of situations like that. Um, oh, you were on my calendar for six months. So yay. It's okay. <laughs> um, okay. So real quick, um, I did have a, one of my Twitter friends had a question for you um, that we will get into here in just a little bit. Um, but in the meantime, I know you are an author um, and I know you have a day job on top of being an author. So just tell us 
just a little bit about yourself and where you're from and all of that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, sure. So, um, like you said, my name is Janice Berliner, and I have been a genetic counselor for the past little over 30 years, terrifyingly so, um, and worked as a, a clinical counselor for most of that time. So for about 10 years, I did prenatal and a little pediatric genetics, and then I moved into the area of cancer risk assessment, worked in cancer centers for about 20 years where I saw a lot of patients who either had cancer or had a family history of cancer were concerned there might be something hereditary about it. And I would teach them what genetic testing was all about. I would review their family histories, figure out to the best that I could what might be going on from a hereditary cancer standpoint, talk about what genetic testing was available, what it would test for, what it wouldn't test for, what you would do with the results once you had them, and, and then walk them through the test results if they decided to have testing. Um, and in the course of all of that, I had always been wanting to be a program director, meaning the director of a master's level genetic counseling training program, in essence, to help develop the next generation of genetic counselors. And so about three years ago, I got a job at Bay Path University, which is in Western Massachusetts, so I work virtually from my home in New Jersey, and um, we are training new genetic counselors, which is That's a lot so of fun. Cool. It's a very different, yeah, it's really different type of work than I had ever done before. It utilizes some of the same skills, but it's it's all academia, which is very different from clinical practice. So it's a really nice way to round out my career. I don't know how long I'll be at this job, but I kind of look at it as my last official job. Um, but that is to say my, you know, paid out of the house kind of work job. Um, but a few years ago, I kind of on a whim decided I wanted to be an author. Um, it, it's not something that I grew up thinking I was going to do. I knew that I liked writing, but it wasn't a life's calling necessarily. I, I have done a tremendous amount of editing and proofreading over the years. It's just something I kind of got into by accident in college because I happened to be raised in a house where grammar and syntax and spelling were really emphasized and um, that's, why, that's why I'm a good proofreader. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now, you know, my, my kids will complain to me that I've made them so aware of these things that they just watch TV and think, oh, that's all wrong. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you obsessive about it, but they are much better writers because of it. So I was the editor of my society's newsletter for five years, and I've been on the editorial board ever since, and I've done a whole bunch of different things, editing book chapters and writing book chapters. And so anyway, I was on uh, vacation with my husband a few years ago, reading a Jody Picoult book, like I always do on vacation, and um, it just hit me that I could probably write something like that. Not, I don't have the talent that Jody has. Um, I've never but, actually read a Jodi Picoult book, so... Oh, yeah, okay. No well, I, I do recommend her books, some more than others, of course. Um, she very thoroughly researches her topics, and her topics are all very different from each other. It's not like one romance after another. They're not like that at all. So, you know, one book was about white supremacy, and one was about... Uh, 
a shooting in an abortion clinic and Ooh. one was about an elephant preserve in Africa. I learned so much about elephants. That was one of my favorites. So, I mean, they're all different and they're all really terrific. And then there's another author named Lisa Genova, or Genova, I never know how to say her name, um, who wrote Still Alice and Inside the O'Briens and a number of other books. She is a Harvard-trained uh, PhD in neuroscience. Yes. Um, and she writes novels, but about all of these neurologic disorders. Mm. Fascinating. So, so Alice, fun. for example, is about early onset Alzheimer's. Oof. And yeah, it's rough. It's, it's, but it's Yeah, Alzheimer's is always a, a rough topic. It's Yes, oh, absolutely. So but sad. learn so much about it but in the form of a story. It's a novel, it's a family, you're invested in the characters, you wanna know what happens, and you know it's fiction, but you also know it really doesn't have to be fiction, it could just as easily be a real family. A biography, yeah. Is. Yeah, and so I just suddenly, with, with all of that in my head, I kinda of had the idea that I could do for genetics what Lisa Genova did for neuroscience. And so my first novel, and I, I say it that way because I have a new one coming out shortly, and I'll tell you about that later, but um, the first novel, which is called Brooke's Promise, is about a baby who has some early failure to thrive and is examined by a number of different doctors who ultimately diagnose her with a rather rare genetic condition. And in learning that, they end up putting all these pieces together in the family, all sorts of, of secrets of their relatives in the past and how things played out and without giving too much away, it, there's a lot that threatens to tear this whole family apart. Yeah, I think my so. I think my TBR just you know gained another book because that sounds really interesting. <laughs> I Thank swear you. I my so. TBR is never ever ever going to forgive me because no, every every week I add at least just just from podcast alone, not even from my Twitter chats with people, just mm. from the podcast alone, I gain at least one to two books on my TBR. Wow, and because, who can keep up with that? Oh my gosh, yeah, and I can't read yeah. that many books. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, your eyes are going to fall out eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. But anyway, I really, you know, I, I love how it came out, and people tell me they love the twists and turns, and that every time they think they figured it out, they get sucked in the face with another surprise. I love so I was really, that. really proud of that. Thank you. And so I'm just wrapping up my second one. Um, in fact, I spent all morning proofreading I have another 80 pages or something to read and then um, I have a very close friend who is a phenomenal graphic artist who did the cover for my first one and I had lunch with her yesterday and she showed me the cover that she's thinking of for the second one so I'm just really walking on a cloud right now oh, so I just I have to finish that and and get that one published this one is called in good conscience and it's a story of a Hollywood actor who's diagnosed with a rather devastating disease and there's a nurse in the medical center where he's going who um, looks into his family history and thinks that there's something hereditary about his illness and talks to him about it when he wasn't her patient and really shouldn't have so there's a whole ethical quandary um, the, the basis of it is the um, it's the word I'm looking for the dichotomy I guess between duty to warn and confidentiality Ooh. and where 
fall on that spectrum and how do you decide when it's okay to do something you shouldn't for the person's best interest and when you really have to step back and and not do that. So it's a parallel stories of of this actor and his illness and the the nurse and and what she's going through and then you know ethics board um, review that she undergoes because she did something she shouldn't have done and so forth. So yeah, it's it's not as twisty and turny as Brooks promised, but I I like the ethical side of it. I've always had a thing for for medical ethics. So you would you would actually. I think really enjoy um, a book. I don't know if you have listened um, to any of my podcast episodes in the past, um, but I did one chat with a, um, he was a lawyer. He is a retired lawyer that became an author and he wrote a book that I actually reviewed for him called Mm -hmm. Unexpected Enemy. And it is, and he actually is a medical, or was before he retired, a medical malpractice attorney. And so most of the, um, most of the, like, law stuff that he has written about in the book is, like, true to form. Like, it's actually, you know, and what happens is the main character and her husband are trying to um, get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And they end up going through IVF. And um, she ends up pregnant. Well, when she she ends up giving birth prematurely, Mm -hmm. and when she ends up giving birth, she gives birth to a black baby. When Mm -hmm. When she and her husband are both white. Okay. And so it's... I can see where this is going. <laughs> so it's about, you know, the the whole, we think we got, you know, the wrong sperm and, you know, the doctor yeah. is, like, you know, involved and his lawyers are involved and it's, like, this whole big blow-up thing mm-hmm. of, you know, they're suing the, um, the clinic, clinic. Yeah. for damages and, you know, all of that. And so there's, you know, quite a few twisty turnies in that book as well. Um, I loved it. I had the hardest time putting it down. Um, and I'm going to check that out. It sounds like it's up my alley. It was, it really sounds like it might be up your alley. Um, especially if you're, if you love medical ethics books, um, because, and he has, I think two or three other books out as well that are kind of along the same medical ethics mm. lines. I just haven't read any of them. Yeah. But the one that I have read, and I definitely recommend you checking out um, my will. podcast episode as well with him. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Tim Cagle, C-A-G-L-E. Um, mm. And he and I had him on the podcast episode, so we talk about his background in medical malpractice Laws, law, and um, we t- he talks a lot about music as well, which I thought was really cool. Um, but yeah, he talks about the book and, and talks about his process of, of writing it and, and all of and his background and in the law that kind of sparks the book as well. So it was a really, really, really interesting talk. The book mm-hmm. is really, really, really good. I definitely, definitely recommend it. Um, 
And because it, it really does. It sounds like it would be just right up your alley. It does, um, yeah. I, I'd like to think that this couple in the book, in the meantime of all of this, is loving their baby and everything is... Oh, yeah, totally. She, you know, they had, yeah, they had um, suggested to her that she give the baby up for adoption because the baby wow. wasn't hers. And yeah, it Who was suggested that I, I want somebody at the clinic. I think if I remember correctly, I could be wrong on this, but yeah, somebody had suggested and she was like, um, no, it's still my baby. And, yeah. um, you know, wow. yeah. So she, you know, so she definitely, she kept the baby and, and loved him and, and all of that. Cause you know, it was as That's far as, care. as far as I know, it was still her egg. They had just gotten the wrong, the wrong sperm. Um, so, you know, she was like, no, this is still my baby (laughs) and, you know, kept it and and loved him and and all of that. So yeah, definitely. Wow. Interesting story. Yeah. Probably not as uncommon as we would like to think. I, yeah. So my my husband and I are considering IVF, so I don't need the nightmares. (laughs) Right. But you know, there's so many stories that you hear now about, um, unexpected paternity and unexpected parentage, you know, in an era of direct to consumer genetic testing. And if anybody's interested, there's a podcast, I'm trying to think of the name of it, I'll come up with it. But um, I think it's called DNA Clarity and Support. And a friend of mine who's a genetic counselor named Brian Kirkpatrick has a company called Watershed DNA. And the purpose of her company and this podcast is to help people who've had unexpected direct-to-consumer genetic testing results. Some of it has to do with parentage. Some of it has to do with uh, ancestry or um, susceptibility to to medical issues that blindsided them. Um, There are a lot of people, probably most, who have this kind of testing without really realizing what they're getting into. And even though the companies have a little checkbox that says, I understand, there's a lot that most people really don't understand, even if they read the whole thing, because genetics is confusing, it's complicated, it's, you know, most people, or many anyway, seem to be a little afraid of science and they're like yeah 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 it's fine you know this will be fun and you know i remember being at thanksgiving at my sister's house several years ago and my cousin and his wife said oh you know we just got 23 and me kids we're gonna do and i said how come oh it's fun i said tell me what's fun about it i'm trying to understand why is it fun and i've asked other people that over the years nobody really has an answer You know, they just, I guess they want to confirm things they knew already about their ancestry or whatever else. But do you need a genetic test to tell you that you like caffeine in the morning? Probably not. Um, And if you have testing done, say, on your child to find out, well, is he better at sprinting or long distance running? Maybe I'll decide what sport he wants to be in. Does that do anybody any good or should you let the child figure it out? You know, yeah, there's a lot that's out there that probably has a lot of potential. I think one day this is really going to be a wonderful thing. But for right now, as usual, the technology has outstripped the pace of the ethics. And we, we don't really quite know what to do with a lot of it. And a lot of the information is vague anyway. We don't even scientifically know what to do with it. So for anybody who's in that boat or thinking about it, I would definitely recommend DNA clarity and support and or watershed DNA. Okay. Um, yeah, my husband um, actually has 
a genetic condition which you will probably be highly familiar with, um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so his his particular strain, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, I know there's probably a better one out there. Um, I usually use the word his, before. Yeah, his will typically go from male to male. So if we have, um, well, because, well, in his family, it has, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone because he, like his uncle had it, his father had it, and I think his grandfather had it. So in his family, it has typically gone from, from father to son. So when we have, um, our, when we finally do get pregnant, whether it's from natural IUI, IVF, anything like that, um, and I end up pregnant with a boy, it will be most likely 50% chance that he will have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Yeah. So they're, they're recommending, they're recommending that we get tested just to be sure. And I don't think that's a bad idea at all. I mean, if it's information that you would like to have ahead of time, but I will just say, and you know, you're presenting information to me that I haven't researched and I haven't looked at the family history, but to my knowledge, Ehlers-Danlos is not linked to the Y chromosome. And that is the only way that something can strictly be passed from father to son. Okay. I, I do believe it's a dominant condition, which means that any child of somebody with Ehlers-Danlos has a 50-50 chance. It doesn't matter male or female. It may just so happen that in his family, that's how it was passed on. That sometimes happens either because there just aren't that many females or just the luck of the draw that the males were affected and the females were not. But I wouldn't put too much faith in the idea that only a boy is at risk. I think that that could, could mean some unhappy surprises for you potentially. So just something to look at. Go talk to a genetic counselor is my advice on that. Yeah. And you know, in, in our situation, you know, it's not, it's not something that, you know, if we had the genetic testing on the baby in utero, that we'd be like, Oh, well he's, you know, he or she has EDS. We're going to abort. It's, you know, we would never do that. For me, it would be, I would want to know simply because there would be some sports or some activities uh-huh. that right. the child simply couldn't participate in. You know, right. my, my husband, my husband did football and he did wrestling and he did um, basketball, I think at some, you know, so he did like all of these sports when he was younger and he's uh-huh. had three knee surgeries that I know uh-huh. of and about uh-huh. to have another one. <clears throat> and he's only 47. So, you know, it's, for me, it wouldn't necessarily be, because it's not a death sentence, and no. you know, at, at all. Um, it's, you know, I would just want to be aware of mm-hmm. it, simply, yep. simply yeah. so that we would know how to take care of said child, you know. I think that's really important, and that, that's a big distinction with distinction we tried to make in genetics and in particularly in genetic counseling that the idea of learning something before the baby is born is not purely to decide whether to have this child 
Right. There's a lot from a medical management standpoint and just from the managing your own expectations standpoint that's really helpful. But one other thing I would say, and I realize you didn't ask me about this, so if I'm overstepping, I apologize. You're, no, you're totally um, fine. But there's, you know, if you're thinking about going down the IVF, IUI kind of road to begin with, there is something called pre-implantation genetic testing where you could test your embryos before they're implanted into your uterus and only implant those that don't have EDS so that you don't even have to go down that road. It's okay. just an idea. Again, talk with a genetic counselor. Yeah, ab- yeah, and I mean, the only, I think the closest one we have to my city is like an hour and a half away. I don't even think we have one in my city. Um, Many can be done virtually though. There are, there are online companies and there are now... Uh, medical centers that are offering genetic counseling by uh, telehealth. Yeah, so I, I let that think, stop you if it's something you'd like to learn more about. Yeah, I think the um, the fertility clinic that we had used previously um, for for once, I think we did one cycle of IUI with them. Uh, I think they offer the genetic mm-hmm. testing with IVF. Um, but I had, you know, I told my husband, I was like, I am willing to do the, the consultation. You know, I am not guaranteeing that we're going to go down the IVF route simply Mm -hmm. because I, you know, back in February, I went through a miscarriage and if, you know, and I told him that, you know, I said, if we do the IVF route and none of the babies implant, I believe that they are babies. A lot of people don't. Right. If none of them implant, that would be like five or six miscarriages all at once. Oh, Emotion wow. for me, emotionally speaking, and I am uh-huh. not, and I am not anybody that is considering going the IVF route. I am not telling you not to. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. I am simply stating for my personal emotions yes. that would be a difficult thing to go through. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I told my husband, I said, I will consider doing a consultation. I said, I want to do the IUI. I said, I want to do at least two cycles of IUI before considering actually doing IVF mm-hmm. simply because they have told us it can take three to four cycles of IUI to get a successful implantation. <clears throat> so Um, and I was not expecting this conversation to go this way, but, um, you know, but they had, you know, they had told us it can take three to four cycles of IUI. And so I said, you know, I want to try at least two cycles of IUI before considering IVF. I said, but I need you to do all the legwork. I said, I want you to call doctors, find a clinic, call my insurance and make sure of what's covered you know, find out how much money we're going to need on top of whatever the insurance covers, all of that. I said, you do all the legwork and I will consider it, (laughs) you know, I was like, I don't want to have to do any of the questions because I, you know, I really think it would be too emotional for me. My husband, luckily enough, I almost tweeted this out yesterday. Everybody should find a psychopath and have them fall in love with him. <laughs> and and I don't like <laughs> and I I mean that not in not in a stalkerish kind of way. 
but my my husband has actually been clinically diagnosed with psychopathy um and you know he is a non-violent psychopath he is not abusive at all i just trust me on this <laughs> he is uh, he is absolutely amazing but he is not emotional he doesn't have oh the, I see. yeah he doesn't have the emotional connections to things you know like a lot of people um you know you think of somebody with psychopathy you know you you think of somebody like anthony hopkins in silence of the lambs right, or right. you know dexter uh, dexter was more of a sociopath um mm-hmm. but they don't make emotional connections with things i make overly emotional connections sure. with things. So he balances you so, out so so we balance each other out you know i i appeal to um, what we what we have affectionately called his feeling, um, <laughs> he only has one, um, <laughs> and um, you know so I I appeal more to his um, his more emotional side, and you know he call, he tells people that I am his um, his moral compass, um, you know because he you know as a psychopath they do have those violent thoughts. You know, and, you know, he does joke about, you know, he asked me one day if he could get a sniper rifle. And I jokingly told him, only if you don't go up on a highway and start picking off people driving down the highway. And he's like, oh, man. You know, and so they they do have those thoughts. Um, but How do they, you keep those under control, though? That's why he tells people that I'm his moral compass. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because I, I have a very strong right and wrong there's there's a very very strong right and wrong there shooting people on the highway is very very wrong i would say so (laughs) and you know so you know we and he is he's very open about it it was one of the um one of the first things that he told me about himself when uh when we first started dating he's he's always very open about it um and, you know, kind of freaked my mom out when I told her and she went and started doing research on, on psychopathy and, and all of that because she was actually worried for my safety. Sure. And I was like, mom, you, you, you don't have to be, it's, you know, he is, yes, he is a psychopath. Um, I have a friend who actually wrote a book, um, titled, I fell in love with a psychopath. Huh. Um, and her, and she's actually wanting to sit down and chat with him and, and interview him to mm-hmm. make sure that a lot of the facts that she has in her book are actually correct. Um, mm-hmm. But he, you know, in respect to overly emotional on one side, not as emotional on the other side, we very much balance each other out in that way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he is my rock when I have situations in which my emotions are taking over, um, you know, such as miscarriage, such as having to put a pet down, um, you know, and you know, all of these things that normally would send me flying into an emotional abyss, which Mm. they still do. Um, but because he is not as emotional about those things, he is able to just stay calm give me a hug, hold me when I'm crying, you know, and but he's provide not that stability. Feelings. You, I'm sorry? 
He's not dismissive of your feelings. Oh, absolutely not. No. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, okay. He, he jokes that I am, he's like, you humans and your feelings. Um, <laughs> and because, you know, because I tell him, you know, I'm like, we'll watch America's Got Talent. And every single kid who gets the golden buzzer, every single act, whatever, it doesn't matter, I tear up. Golden buzzer <laughs> is that. just, I, it's just, I cry every single time. It doesn't matter if I liked the act. If they got the golden mm-hmm. buzzer, I'm going to cry about it. Yeah. And so he'll just look at me, he'll be like, you humans in your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think he'll be as a father? I think he's going to be an amazing father. Yeah. I, I really do. Um, he, he has three kids. Um, that he does not get to see, uh, which is really, Aww. really sad. Yeah, it's really, really Very sad. sad. But he tells me stories about when, you know, when he was around them, when he and his ex-wife were married. He tells me stories about them. And, you know, I'm just like, I cannot wait to see him be a dad. I'm so yeah. excited to watch him you know, he, my sister has five kids and he, you know, and I watch him interact with them and, you know, I'm like, I just, I can't wait to watch him be a dad. (laughs) I just, I know he's going to be amazing at it. Um, you know, and he's, and he's going to balance, you know, again, you humans with your feelings, he's going to balance out my desire to just overly spoil this child that I've been (laughs) trying for years to have you know, and, you know, he'd be like, no, Pam, no, you can't just give that to them. They need to earn it somehow, you know? And so there's, you know, again, we're going to have that really great balance between the two of us. So, you know, I, I will be the nurturer and he will probably be closer to the disciplinarian, Um, you know, but our, because of how we are and how we are with each other, our kid is going to have just the greatest atmosphere, I think, to grow up in. And I'm, so, I'm just, I'm so excited. <laughs> so. I wish you luck with that. It's not easy. Thank you. Yeah, it's been October, October will be three years that we've been trying. Mm. And I just turned 40 yesterday. So it's, Oh, you know, happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, happy we're, he's, he's actually out in the kitchen baking my birthday cake right now. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, That's nice, but um, okay, so we are 30 minutes into our chat already. Cannot yeah. believe it. This time it's flown. I know. Let's get back to books. Uh, okay. I, I actually almost forgot that we were recording. <laughs> 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 And, um, I just, I got so excited about, you know, talking about my husband and, you know, getting to be a dad and, and all of that. So, um, Okay. So I, you said earlier that you really, really love the medical, uh, medical Mm. ethics books and medical mysteries and all of that. What is a book that you have read recently that you just loved and think everybody should read? Mm. I just put you on the spot. (laughs) No, that's okay. I mean, I I mentioned it before. One of my all time favorites is called Inside the O'Briens by Lisa Genova. And what I love about it is, I mean, the topic of the book is is a really difficult one. It's Huntington's disease, which if you don't know about Huntington's, it's a progressive neurologic condition that has been likened to 
a combination of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and ALS, um, each of which is horrendous and put them all together. And it's really just, just an awful thing. Um, but the story has to do with this family. Um, the father is a beat cop in Boston. He has four semi-adult children and um, he starts having symptoms of Huntington's only he doesn't know what it is. None of them know what it is. And um, little by little he learns about it and then his, his kids grapple with whether to have genetic testing themselves and find out. And one of them is a yoga instructor and one of them is a ballet dancer and one of them is a cop like his father or firefighter maybe. Um, so they all use their bodies in the, the work that they do and the things that they love and the, the heartache of learning that they might lose these things. And do I have testing or don't? One of them has the testing and then isn't sure she wants to hear the results by the time they come back. And it's, there's a lot of, of the genetics, but a lot of the ethics of it, the family dynamics, the survivor guilt, the, all of those things wrapped into one. And there's a lot of meat there I, that I like to chew on personally. Um, I think I might need to read this book. It sounds really interesting. It, I recommend it to everyone. And my friend, the graphic designer who's doing my book cover said to me yesterday, I finally finished Inside the O'Briens. I loved it, but it was so sad. Um, uh, I, hate sad I, I, I hate sad books. Well, yeah, I know. But I, I feel like that's where you learn the most. If you if you're interested in that, some people just read to escape and they don't, they don't need to be learning things. And this is not one of those hit you over the head textbooky types of book. Not at all. It is a novel, plain and simple. But as the family is learning about it, you're learning about it too. Yeah. Which is what I was going for in my books too. Right. And I think that's a really nice way because people can learn things without feeling like they're being lectured to. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I love, I love books that teach me things. I'm just not yeah. always a fan of books that make me cry. Yeah. So I'm just <laughs> finishing another one called not fade away by a woman named Rebecca Alexander, who has something called Usher syndrome, which is thankfully quite rare, but it's a, a genetic condition that causes progressive blindness and deafness. Oh. So Yeah. So she learned from an early age, though I'm not sure how much she really processed, that she was eventually going to be both blind and deaf. Um, and I had seen her speak actually at my professional society conference a few years ago, and I thought she was so dynamic and just fascinating to listen to, the kind of person that you want to be friends with, that you feel like you're in the living room with just having a chat over a glass of wine. And so... Um, we have our students uh, coming to campus in a, next month for a, a weekend of programming. And one of the things we're doing is a half day sort of mini conference on Usher syndrome with a, a speaker who deals with the deaf blind community and um, Usher syndrome in particular. And she recommended this book. And I said, oh, Rebecca Alexander, I love her. And so I started the book. I'm, I'm almost done with it. It's absolutely fantastic. Because aside from the fact that you're learning about Usher syndrome, which you might say to yourself, it's so rare, I'm never going to know anybody with this, why do I need to know? You don't necessarily, but I do think it's important to understand the lived experience of people who have disabilities and what they go through and how they triumph and what things they feel deprived of versus what you think they feel deprived of. 
Right. You know, what are the things that they love about their lives and wouldn't change? And, you know, we've all read stories about people with, let's say, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder who stop taking their medications because they feel that it blunts who they really are. And to some extent, they embrace their conditions because it it helps them feel alive and it helps them feel authentic to who they are. And so from the outside looking in, you might say, why on earth would you ever stop taking your medication? That makes no sense. But it does make sense from their perspective. And to read about it is just absolutely wonderful. I highly recommend this book, Not Fade Away. Okay. Um, yeah, the, um, the two, um, actually three, because I think you mentioned another um, Lisa Genova book earlier. Still um, Alice. Yes. yes. If you will message me on Twitter and um, oh, give sure. me and give me those three titles, I will include yes. links to those um, in the show notes for everybody. Um, and I actually still have to do that for last week's show. I think I missed some. Um, <laughs> it is. It has been a week. Let me tell you. Um, it has just. It has been an overly emotional week for me this this past week so yeah it's it's been tough um so okay I um I think I talked about one book that last week uh, in the show The Brilliant Death I mentioned that book um it's a fantasy I read actually mostly fantasy um and it's about this young woman who she has learned that she is what's called a strega. Um, and it's, um, the author's Italian. So a lot of the fantasy words and names sound Italian, but they're, it's definitely a fantasy. Um, but she mm -hmm. learns that she is a strega and can use her magic to change people into things, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, basically whatever she wants. And she uses this magic unbeknownst to her family who don't know she's a Straga. Um, she uses her magic to protect her father from his enemies. So she, you know, if there's, if he has an enemy, then she gets with that enemy somehow and changes them into something. Hmm. And just has this huge collection in her bedroom of all of these items that were once people. And oh. she... Um, her father gets poisoned and she receives, and the family receives a letter from the self-appointed king of their country, um, that the leader of their house, the leader of their family has to go to the city to meet with the capo, who is the self-appointed king. And she goes with her brother, um, and because her brother is going to be the, the leader of this family. And so on the way, he dies. And she has no, she has no recourse. She doesn't know what to do. And so she decides that instead of going home, she is going to learn to, instead of using her magic to change other people into things, she is going to use her magic to change herself into a boy. So it's kind of like a Mulan type deal. Um, and so she, you know, she has decided that she is going to be the leader of this, of her family, even though she's female and has no right to the title. Oh. So it's, you know, it's fantasy, but it's like, it was super, super interesting. Um, 
and you know of course there's other characters that get involved in in helping her and, and all of that but it's you know just kind of her journey of figuring out who she really was and you know who in you know in the book who she happened to be was kind of both male and female <laughs> um so it was yeah it was it was a really interesting book and I really enjoyed it um and I just recently finished a book that I don't normally it's wasn't a fantasy or anything like that um but I don't normally read ghost stories um and that's kind of what this one was it was um eight souls is was the name of it by Rachel Rust um and she, this young woman, has been dreaming about this house every night for as long as she can remember. Well, the house that she dreams about is the house right across the street from her grandparents' house in this tiny little town in Iowa um, where eight people died, were murdered, like, a hundred years ago. Mm. And But she's been dreaming about this house, you know, for as long as she can remember. And... One summer, um, her parents send her to live with her grandparents for three months. And she's like, I don't know how I'm going to handle being across from this house for three months. And, you know, but she starts having dreams um, that aren't just about the house while she's there. And so she meets, you know, this other character that um, was actually there a hundred years ago when these people were murdered. Oh, and wow. so it was, you know, kind of, um, kind of ghost stories slash not entirely short, but it was, <laughs> it was really, it was actually really good. It was one of those books that you don't, you know, cause it's not in my typical genre. Yeah. I wasn't expecting to like it and then I couldn't put it down. <laughs> Wow. It was one of those, that? yeah, it was one of those books. I think I read it in like a day and a half. Um, wow. So, um, and that one is called Eight Souls. Um, and it was one I got for free, I think. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Rachel, um, I loved the book so much, actually. I hunted her down on Twitter and just had to, um, had to go follow her. Cause I'm like, I need to know if she wrote any more books. Cause this was really good. Um, yeah. So, okay, next, next topic. Okay. What, because uh, we are actually at 43 minutes. Time has flown, I'm telling you. Um, so what, what is something that you would tell a brand new author? Mm. Oh, God. Think of a bunch of different things. We got, we got 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the first thing would be stay true to yourself, you know, and, and complete your mission, so to speak. So if you have an idea for where you want your book to go, go there. Now, I say this without having written a million query letters to agents and trying to traditionally publish. Right. But that's one of the reasons that I haven't done that is that I feel like the authenticity of what you're writing should be yours and there shouldn't be an entity telling you that's not what 
you should be writing or you need to cut it down by 50 pages or you need to artificially beef it up by 50 pages or change your title or change your cover art, you know, put out the work that you feel represents your thoughts and feelings the best. Um, but <laughs> it's that's a little bit weird coming from somebody who, you know, I, it's not like I've sold a million books, right? It's not like I can say that with any authority. That's just my feeling on the subject. Um, and I think, you know, take the time that you need. Don't give yourself artificial deadlines. You know, I find myself doing that sometimes that, I, you know, if I could just get back to this book, I need to finish it by X time. And I think, well, well, why? I don't have a publisher breathing down my neck. Better to make it good and make it the, the work that you really will be proud of and take a little bit longer to do it. Yeah, make it make it the best that it can be. Yeah. And, you know, and that's that's what I tell people when, um, you know, when I'm telling people about my proofreading services, you know, mm-hmm. I am I'm like, I am not here to change your book. Yeah. You know, I am not here to change the style of it. I'm not here to change your voice. I'm not. That is not what I'm trying to do. I'm not an mm-hmm. editor for a big, huge publisher. I'm not you know, a big, huge publisher. I'm just, you know, I'm like, I, you know, my goal in proofreading a book for somebody is to make it the best that it can be, you Mm. know? And I think that that is a very important thing, especially for Mm self-published because for one main reason, When you are self-published, you don't have a team of people behind you that are objective eyeballs. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your own set of eyeballs and you maybe have three or four beta readers. Your three or four beta readers, they're not looking for grammatical errors. They're not looking for what word is, (laughs) you know, that's, well, what I'm, what I'm saying though, is that's not their job. Their, their job is, you know, this chapter really hooked me or, you know, your prologue maybe needs a little bit of work. You know, that's, that's their job. You know, my, my job as the proofreader is right before you are ready to publish, get that, that objective set of eyeballs on your book, you know, because, you know, and I, I recently, um, proofread a book that, you know, I was like, okay, she knows what, what is going on. So when she's reading through the book for editing purposes, she's not noticing that this word needs to be there. Yes. (laughs) Um, you know, and, you know, or, you know, I'm noticing that this particular author has used this word 50 times in the past three paragraphs, they don't all need to be there. You know, those are the things that, that proofreaders look for. Um, I find myself noticing that when I read too. And, you know, and, but that's, but that's what I'm looking for because I want the book to be the best it can be. Right. And I think along those lines, it's really important to put your best work forward because if readers are distracted 
by the same word 50 times or spelling mistakes or a lack of punctuation, they're not paying attention to your story. Right, exactly. And I think when my students hand assignments in and I see grammatical mistakes and spelling mistakes and half-finished sentences where the thought just kind of trailed off, I think I can tell by looking at this, you did not proofread because if, if I can see it, you should have seen it. And it, it psychologically to me detracts from the quality of the work. So even yeah. if what you're saying is very important and compelling, whether I'm trying to or not, the back of my head is saying, yeah, but you didn't care enough about this assignment to read it over before you handed it in. And I kind of feel the same way when I'm reading a book. And sometimes it happens where you see a million of those kinds of things. And you think the author didn't catch it. The beta readers didn't catch it. The editor didn't catch it. Why, why am I catching it? Yeah. Right. And it just, you know, when my son was in high school and I would say, you know, you never show me your assignments anymore. And he said, that's because you're going to give me the take pride in your work speech. I said, you're darn right I am. It's very important before you hand something in to make sure it looks as good as it possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I started, you know, when I started my proofreading business, you know, I started marketing to self-published you know specifically because self-published authors they don't have that team of editors in their traditionally published publishing house you know they don't have you know that team of proofreaders that are going to go through their book again you know they don't have that team of editors that are that's going to go through their book five or six times before sending it off to you know the other team of people, you know, they, they don't have that big, huge team of people. And, you know, and I'm like, I can offer, you know, I have my main job, you know, it's like, I can offer proofreading services for cheaper prices to self-published people because I have that job. You know, because mm -hmm. I have my main job. Am I wanting to turn it into full-time? Absolutely. I would love to be able to read books all day. That would be my dream. Um, but I don't want to ever feel like I'm overcharging somebody. Mm. You know, just because I want to make it a full-time job, if that makes sense. Oh, um, yeah. But, but absolutely getting, um, getting a proofreader to read over your book again, even if it's not me, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I cannot stress enough that, you know, in, t in today's world of being able to self-publish, you know, there's so many people that I, I have read their book and I'm like, is this your first draft? Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, and I and I will never, ever, ever mention specific books or specific names. Um, I personally mm. think that's just mean. But, <laughs> um, you know, but I have. But I have read books like that. And I had um, one friend that um, when I read his book actually for review, um, and this one I will tell you be, simply because of the story behind it. Um, 
he had sent me his book for a review. And as I'm reading through it, I am finding misspelled words. Mm-hmm. Not, not to the extent that it detracted from the story. Um, and they weren't misspelled as that word. They were simply misspelled in the context. For example, he lie on the bed, um, L-Y-E. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, you know, things like that. And so I, you know, when I had finished the book, I had gone through my Kindle and I had actually highlighted the things that I would have changed. Um, and I sent him a message and I'm like, before I review this, can I please proofread for you? And I was like, I'm not going to charge you for it. I'm just, you know, I said, I would really like to just do this for you because I really like the book and I want to make it great. And he, you know, was really thankful for that. But then he, but then he told me he had had three, three proofreaders before me. Wow. And he had paid these people. To proofread his book. And nobody caught it. And I was like, and I was, I was pissed on his behalf. (laughs) Simply because I'm like, I can guarantee you they didn't actually proofread. They just ran spell check and took your money. (gasps) Oh, that's terrible. Three people before me. And I'm like, that's not what proofreading is. Proofreading is actually reading through the book. Of course. You know, and so he, and he was so thankful that he um, actually wrote me a review for my website, for my proofreading services, uh, which was super, super nice of him. um, And I'm so grateful. But that is, um, you know, and one of the things that he said was Pam did not, detract from my style of writing or my voice in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my goal was only to make the story the best it could be. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were, you know, a couple of times where I'm like, this word would actually work better here and I would change it. Um, you know, instead of shouted, he roared, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so it was, that is, you know, coming back to your original statement of make your work the best it can be and don't don't be afraid to spend extra time on right. your story. You know, it don't yes. it, it really will. And, you know, if you have to get five or ten extra people mm-hmm. to look over your book, you're going to be more likely to sell multiple copies of that book and make some of that money back if you have invested in the proper tools for your book. I totally agree. Yeah. So, okay. We are at 55 minutes. We have about four minutes left. Um, So one last question. Um, What is something that you would tell a book reviewer like me? who reviews on their blog or reviews on Goodreads or anything like that. Hmm. I know. I, I love asking authors these. Those two questions are usually my last questions of the, yeah, of that, the podcast. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I, I guess, 
try to put yourself in the minds of somebody who's reading your review and what would be important to them. You know, they don't, and don't reiterate anything that the reader can see somewhere else. So if you're writing a review of a 300 page book and it says, right, you know, on the book description, it's 300 pages. You don't have to say this 300 page book detailed, blah, blah, blah. Right. You don't have to, do in essence a book report and, and summarize the story so much as what spoke to you about it, what was meaningful, what was deep, what moved you, what entertained you, what made you laugh or cry, um, why would you recommend or not recommend this book? Um, did it feel honest? Did it feel well researched? Did it feel like the author had any expertise on the subject matter? Those kinds of things that I think, I mean, that this is just me. If I were reading a review, those are the things that I really would care more about. Um, yeah, I, I find it really important that an author, if you don't know much about the subject matter, um, at least write like you studied it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, and then Or maybe the, reconsider whether you write that topic in the first place. Yeah, you know, I, I actually did not finish a book that I had gotten from NetGalley um, last year sometime. And um, it was called The Holy Conspiracy. And it was the story of Jesus' brothers and sisters after Jesus' ascension. Oh, wow. And you you would think that it would be a really good book. Mm. It, it was not. Um, and I, and I don't normally tell titles of books I'm bashing, but this, uh, this book, I swear. First of all, did you know Jesus left behind a pregnant widow? <laughs> That's like the, that was probably the biggest red flag that in, in the, in the book, you know? And I'm like. You, you know, basically it just felt like the author decided to write this story on a whim and then didn't yeah. do any research at Have all you whatsoever. The Red Tent. The what book? The Red Tent. I've not heard of that one. This, oh my gosh, so good. The author is Anita... Diamant or something like that? I, I'll have to look that one up for you too. I have it somewhere in my bookshelves. Um... And you're going to have to talk quick because we're, like, almost out of time. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. It was given to me as a gift, and I was just by the cover. I was like, nah, not my thing. But it's about um, all of, is it Isaac's children? I don't know. It's a biblical story. I forget. It's a long time ago. But, you know, of Joseph and all the brothers, right, Isaac and Esau and all of them, and apparently there was one sister named Dina who was mentioned one time in the Bible. And this author decided to write the whole story from Dina's point of view. Ooh. It is fascinating. There's even a family tree in the back. And as someone who grew up with really no religious background at all, okay. I we're going to hold on just one second. 
Okay, so we Janice was actually in the middle of a sentence when <laughs> our when my hour hit um, and stopped recording. So I'm gonna go ahead and let her finish her story just real quick. I know this is gonna add some time to the podcast, y'all. I'm so sorry. Um, I tried to keep it at around an hour, but I'm not gonna totally cut her off. So I'm gonna let her finish oh, well, telling us about this that. book. So, yeah, I, okay. I don't know where I was when it cut off. Anyway, um, apparently in the Bible, this woman Dina is mentioned one time only and I, I wouldn't know because I didn't didn't grow up reading any of this but um, the story is written from the standpoint of Dina from her perspective and what she goes through as one of you know nine children or whatever it is and it's all boys but her and um, so all these Bible stories that many people have read are, are in there but in just from a different perspective I think it's fascinating not normally a book I would ever pick up but it was given to me as a gift and I'm so glad it was really really interesting yeah there was one that I read um a while back I don't remember what the title of it was um I think I had grabbed it at like Dollar Tree or something um Mm -hmm. but it was the story of Esther Mm -hmm. from um like from Esther's perspective so it was, it was a fictional story, um, yeah, this one was too. but it was, but it was, it went into like more detail of, you know, her year and a half during her doing her beauty treatments and, um, her, you know, relationships with other women, um, in the King's harem and, you know, all of that. And so it was, you know, again, it was fiction, but it was really, really, really well done. The Holy Conspiracy was not. <laughs> That's that's really the the main point is if you (laughs) if you enjoy well researched even though fictional biblical stories that is not yours Simon that's not yours Um, Um, I would say the same about the Dove Keepers if you've read that one that has to do with Masonic. Um, and the destruction of Masada. Oh, fantastic. I read it before I went to Israel, just to have some sense of what Masada was and who the people were. Fantastic book. Yeah, I, you know, and I don't, you know, and anybody who has listened to this podcast for any amount of time at all, you know, I don't usually hand out titles of books when I'm bashing them. (laughs) Um, simply because I, you know, I feel like it's kicking somebody's baby, sure. you know, because they, you know, that person had worked hard on that book, you know, they, right. they spent, you know, however long, but they did not research it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not to say that Jesus didn't leave behind a pregnant widow, you never know. <laughs> but I, but I feel like that's something that's important enough. They would have said it in the Bible. Probably. If Jesus was married, you know, yeah. I just, that's just my, my personal feeling on that is that if that was really something that happened, yeah. the Bible would have said something about it. <laughs> so, you know, it, that, that was just a book that, you know, I'm like, it's, you know, the premise made it sound really interesting and I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, and then I got into it. I'm like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I yeah. can't do it. Oh, so, do. if you can't love them all, yeah, you know, yeah, you can't love them all. Most of the time, I do. I, you yeah. know, I 
fit, I've finished probably 97, 98% of the books that I read. So, you know, I, um, it's rare that I come out, that I start a book that I don't already know I'm going to enjoy. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not the picky bookworm for nothing. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm usually pretty, thank you. I'm usually pretty knowledgeable about what I'm going to enjoy and what I'm not. That was Mm. one of those, that was one of those mistakes that I just happened to make, (laughs) you know. But okay, so I am. We're gonna go ahead and say goodbye since we're past our hour. I don't want, um, I don't want to overwhelm too many people. Um, I will, I will show you the the little black, little black friend. She is so so. Um, I don't know if you can hear him purring. He's like he's purring really loud. He's adorable. And thank you. His name is Simon. He's the newest member of the Picky family. Um, so I put on Twitter uh, when I got him the other day. Um, and so, but since we are over our hour, this has been so fun. Thank it you was. so much for coming and chatting oh, with me. thank you for having me. Um, it's to talk about my book and... Yes. My upcoming book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and I would ask your readers, if anybody does read Brooks Promise or In Good Conscience in the future, if you would please put a review on Amazon, on Book on um, Barnes and Noble or Goodreads or somewhere, I would truly appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And I will, um, I will include links to or a link to Brooks Promise um, in the show you. notes so that people can go um, and support it. Um, I will definitely uh, be hunting it down at some point. I can't promise it'll be today, um, yeah. <laughs> but it does. It does really sound like a book that I would enjoy. Um, oh, I'm glad. Thank so, you for that. And I'll send you uh, the titles of the books that I mentioned. Yes, absolutely. And I will get those in the show notes for everybody as well. Um, I do have um, one sponsor for today's episode, um, so be sure. Uh, listeners, be sure to please go and listen to that uh, sponsor um, and go and support my friend Caroline. She's actually the one that she had sent me a question to ask you. Um, and I don't think, oh yeah, you actually did answer it. Um, she, she had asked how much of your profession did you incorporate into the story? Oh, Lots. So yeah, um, and you actually had answered that, um, but she, but my friend Caroline, she's a long-term supporter of the show, and she um, sponsors just about every episode. So um, her, she has one book out um, named um, "Destiny and Other Dilemmas," um, and hmm. so I have, I will have a um, a sponsor spot for her as well. So um, I would love if people would go and, and buy her book and support her. So. Um, anyway, I'm going to say ta-ta. ta-ta. I will definitely, much. I will definitely see you on Twitter. Um, I will, yes. I will be sure to connect as well. Um, and I hope people buy your book. Oh, thank really you. Awesome. I, I so. hope so too. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. There's a lot of meat to the story. <laughs> Yay. I love meaty stories. Um, okay. So I will talk to you soon and thank you again. Uh, this has been oh, so thank fun. You. So. It really was. Take care and happy birthday. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.